All right. Hello and welcome uh, to the RealCom's second webinar in our series titled Automating Everything to Combat a Looming Downturn. We're not sure exactly how that's going to work out, but uh, that's what we're looking for. I am Chuck Nicewanger, your RealCom host for today's webinar, Driving Measurable Business Value. And this one focusing in on case studies. So it's how these projects have been implemented and their impact on business outcomes. We are expanding the globe on this one with panelists joining us in the United States, UK, and Australia. Uh, but before we get started, let me go through a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you again to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box on the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you're an active participant. I'll relay your questions to the panel and we'll try to get them answered uh, during the discussion. In the handout section, you'll find detailed bios of our panelists, today's full slide deck, and the master deck from the first webinar in this series. And for the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch Bernie Madoff on Netflix. Our panelists will provide you with real solutions, not Ponzi schemes. And if you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You'll also, uh, you can also email Ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N at realcom.com for help during the event. But again, don't worry, you won't miss anything because you will receive a link to the webinar recording later today. And I've included my email on this slide in case you're watching this as a recording and you think of a question, go ahead and send it to me. I'll send it out to the panel and we'll try to get that answered. This educational webinar is sponsored uh, by our outstanding technology partners. FreeSpace helps some of the world's largest employers overcome key workplace challenges of too much real estate, unsuitable space types, and bringing employees back to the office. Their suite of proprietary products, config, configurable apps, and software provides a fully integrated approach to fulfilling these goals. Let's watch a short video and learn a little bit more. At FreeSpace, our purpose is to organize the world's workspaces to make them as hybrid ready and efficient as possible. Free space, the space to work effectively. And we also have uh, with us today, Real Foundations. Uh, they're a professional services firm focuses on helping real estate companies make smarter, more profitable decisions. They are recognized as a world leader in digital collaboration. Let's learn a little bit more with this video. Real Foundations is a professional services firm focused on helping companies that develop, own, operate, or invest in real estate make smarter, more profitable decisions. From the building itself to the way it's developed, operated, and capitalized, no firm understands the inner workings of the entire real estate ecosystem as well as Real Foundations. We make real estate run better.
And we are especially grateful for all the contributions by these technology partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. Be sure to include these trusted partners in your vendor evaluation process. Our moderator today is Aaron Alsher. He's the Director of Commercial Real Estate Technology Initiatives at Car Properties. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Chuck. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks. Great to see you and hear you. So all that's good. Before we get started, let's run a real quick profile of our live audience to see just what some of the positions that are being represented. Aaron, a lot of times we've done this and we, we learn a little bit about where people are coming from, especially given the topic. So it should be interesting. Yeah, in the past, I think I've seen a, a really nice blend between, you know, the executive level to the, you know, subject matter uh, side of things. So hoping today we get a nice balance. Let's take a quick look and see what see what the mix looks like. All right, thirty percent, thirty-eight percent on the executive level. That's that's a real nice with a uh, so well over half the audience is executive level or technology innovation. Uh, so that really uh, makes for an inter interesting discussion. You, uh, sometimes we throw in the second uh, category as well to get a feel for workspace management and uh, all, uh, back to work initiatives, ESG. Uh, and so uh, that can, again, help guide your conversation. So, so I think that's interesting. All right. All right, very good. Well, I'm going to let uh, you go. I'll be back uh, towards the end to close things out. So enjoy your webinar and uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Thanks, Chuck. So let's get started. Um, really appreciate everybody being here today. Uh, we have a fantastic panel. Today we're talking about data and automation in real estate. Um, so, you know, commercial real estate data in inherently is different from other industries. Um, you know, oftentimes it's, uh, it's disparate, it's disjointed, uh, and it's generated by many new and, and innovative technologies like IoT devices. Uh, which in itself create problems for data modeling, device management, and even cybersecurity. Um, so you you might be asking, you know, why uh, why talk about this topic at all? Um, well, there's a couple of reasons that we're going to dig into today. For one, um, the the basic level, um, the data provides us insights and transparency. Uh, this is not new. Companies are doing this, um, but ultimately, I think we're all at the table here to understand how we're going to be rewarded through these efforts, through either efficiency or cost savings, um, you know, to compete in the marketplace and the in the challenging marketplace today. And from my perspective, automation is really what's going to to get us there. Um, you know, for one, tools to automate are becoming more available. Uh, they're at our fingertips to use. And, and also, um, you know, younger workers are embracing these technologies. Schools are training to it. Um, for example, today I'm, I'm down in Blacksburg, Virginia, at Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech. CAR is working on um, an AI ML big data project to determine the ROI of these initiatives with a group of, of 14 uh, really bright up and coming students. Uh, so we've been, you know, really pleased with that effort and, and excited for things to come. Um, but let's jump into it. We have a great panel today, and I'll be sharing two case studies uh, on how CAR is utilizing automation, and then we'll uh, we'll get into several others that are just really compelling um, that uh, that others are doing in the market. All 
All right. So if uh, if I haven't met you uh, out in the industry, I'll do a quick introduction. Uh, my name is Aaron Alcher um, with Car Properties. We're based in uh, Washington, D.C., property spanning Boston, Massachusetts, um, the D.C. area to include Maryland, um, D.C., Virginia, and also Austin, Texas. Uh, we're a portfolio of um, about five and a half million square foot. Uh, we develop, we own and manage, um, most notably our development project currently uh, that's just getting ready to, to turnkey deliver is up in Boston. It's the One Congress, uh, beautiful building. You'll see it the next time you're flying into Logan. It's a million square foot, 44 floors high, um, and it's it's got some uh, just uh, fantastic um, design and uh, just a, a beautiful facility that we're proud to deliver. Um, so CAR has, uh, has been in investing and working in and around data and automation for the last couple of years, recognized by the industry. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm here to just push CAR forward in terms of innovation and technology. And a lot of that work really stems from uh, the efforts around data uh, data mining and modeling, and uh, all the sources that provide us uh, those datas. And um, let's jump in to see, you know, what the the projects that have kept us busy over the last uh, couple of years. Um, so we've talked about our data footprint uh, on webinars in the past. Uh, Elon Zakar, our CTO, and I um, are are constantly looking at. Um, devices and systems that can provide us more data. And every time we look at this particular slide, which outlines all the, the endpoints in our buildings that give us uh, new data, it seems like it's growing and getting more complex and, and in turn more exciting. Uh, so, you know, our data journey started a couple of years ago where we started to turn all stones over uh, in the building and collect data. And at the beginning, you know, the data was a mess. It was unstructured. It was coming in all different formats from all different types and uh, and mechanisms and vehicles. And it took us a while to start getting our arms around, you know, modeling it so it made sense in terms of, um, you know, the commercial real estate lens and how it could eventually be consumed in um, in a BI tool. And there's been, you know, a couple of years of work to get us to that um, to that level. Uh, but, you know, we're at the point now where we're looking to uh, see some of the fruits of our labor and um, and that's going to come in the form of, of automation. Um, but this just gives an, a kind of an expansive view of how many different types of data uh, that car collects and how we we look at it in terms of building out like a nervous system or a brain or a heartbeat of the building uh, where we have it all funneled into one centralized um, location. So I'll talk about uh, some uh, couple of scenarios where we've leveraged big data and uh, maybe a challenge or two that we had along the way. Um, so, uh, you know, CAR has been in the indoor air quality, um, you know, device deployment and uh, data collection mode in the last couple of years. And um, we knew that this was going to end up in an automation initiative to make our buildings uh, more comfortable for our customers and more efficient uh, for our operators. Um, so the the deployment went kind of like this. And hopefully this can benefit some of you that are considering an IoT deployment. Uh, so we knew the business wanted uh, immediate response in terms of alerts and actions from this data, but they also um, you know, wanted to see it in our BI tool. So we have hundreds of sensors out in our properties that uh, collect indoor air quality information. And the day we flipped the switch, holy cow, 
the um, the database was uh, was definitely responding to us. Uh, it was being overloaded with millions and millions of rows and, uh, and records per day, uh, and we had a, a you know a pretty significant resource problem quickly. Uh, and this, I think, is a, a scenario that a lot of us don't anticipate as we're deploying all these IoT devices. Uh, we just think we're going to flip the switch. We're going to consume all the data through those, um, you know, the, pay the data payloads or APIs, and we're going to be able to just start working with the data immediately. I don't. I think you underestimate the amount of data and the frequency that these devices can provide you. Um, so we we walked away from this with a couple of solutions that I'd like to share um, just for you to consider. So for one, uh, we developed two distinct paths for the indoor air quality data. We created an alert path that was in more of a um, a short term immediate uh, response, and then we had uh, a longer term storage path for uh, our BI tool. So we once we were able to distinguish both of those, we were able to take the longer term BI path, average that out to a longer period, and um, queue the BI data up in like an hourly format. Uh, and then we have a, a process in place where as time goes by, we further average out the data so we can maintain uh, proper use of our resources. Uh, and the last thing that we, we developed out in, in this case and are continuing to develop is um, uh, is a new kind of like a gatekeeping logic that sits at the perimeter of our uh, of our data warehouse that basically um, runs the data through a, a scenario of logic that says, have you changed from the last time I ingested you? And if the value has not changed, then we um, send it down a different path. If the value has changed, we take it into the data warehouse and we push it through the process of, um, of deploying out to BI. So in this case, we're only looking at environments where you know, things are changing and we're not overly, um, and, and we're not overly um, you know, putting burden on our, our data warehouse. Um, so I will, um, I'll quickly jump to the next, um, the next project, and uh, this project was about lease data and lease automation, where we leveraged a tool named uh, DealSum, and DealSum does our lease abstracts. They um, have an AI that scans through the documents themselves uh, and provides us structured data for all of our uh, all of our, our lease information. And we've been able to uh, build out some workflows. We've been able to integrate that into our JD Edwards um, uh, ERP system and ultimately run um, critical date notifications. We do proactive reporting. And um, this is one case where it's been, uh, we've been able to provide value across discipline to asset management, to leasing, um, to revenue recognition and accounting. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's enough for me. Uh, I could talk all day on these, but we really wanna hear from um, from the next uh, presenter, which is Claire Meredith. She is from Google. Um, I'll, uh, I'll cue her up here. Uh, Claire is a technology program manager at Google whose primary focus is within the digital building space. She leads a process known as device qualification, which ensures devices deployed on Google's network meet strict network and security requirements. Excited to hear from Claire, uh, so welcome. Thanks, Aaron. Um, thanks for having me. And you've just saved me an introduction to our program to give context around this slide. So thank you. Um, yeah, our our automation project is less about data automation and more about the, the automation of a process. 
which which is the process to test these devices against the the network and security standards so what google's digital building program aims to do is remove the siloed system so all your your um, nervous system slide all of those systems are generally deployed in isolation we we want to kind of cut that out in in our real estate portfolio and only apply device types to a single network and in order to do that we need to understand the standard or the capabilities of its uh, of its network capabilities and, and basic security capabilities so we test all types of devices so everything that was on your ner nervous system slide we we test and one of the challenges that we face is we are an expert in none <laughs> we but we have become an expert in figuring them out and because we test so many different things scale started to become an issue for us there's only so much human capacity in in a day and in a week so the bottom left hand corner of this slide is is an indicator of, of our, our process there's lots of steps and they all existed for a reason um but it was long and it was complicated and the prep work was phenomenal just to get to the point of testing the testing itself was relatively short in, in comparison so we we last year we kind of got to this point where we were at capacity we couldn't really break that 85 devices per per year in terms of um uh, intake and, and assessment so what we tried to do was use a tool called DAC DAQ, which was a tool built by a colleague of mine, Trevor Perry, a few years back to automate testing. And we were having a measure of success with that, but it still wasn't getting us to that ability to scale. So the, the, the tool itself had so much potential. So we decided to take that, break it down and redesign it into this new tool we're calling Testron. What we hope is going to be the result, we started this, we started this program last August and in April, we just started our development work. So what we hope the result will be is manufacturers get far more autonomy in when they test and how they test they're not burdened by our availability by meetings every week by email chains that go on for two weeks by constant questions they can just crack on and test the thing they know best rather than trying to teach us about the device to test it um what what was interesting in some of our prep work was my my hope was always to test, I beg your pardon, um, automate the process because that was the thing that was really long. The testing was relatively simple. What what I discovered pretty early on when we were um, discussing the, the various aspects of, of test run was that the very act of automating the testing was taking this long process down into the absolute bare minimum steps of engagement. So it was a really nice value add that you automate one thing but actually it saves you time and effort in areas you hadn't previously anticipated so that that was that was pretty good 
Um, we have a, a soft launch in September. So we're looking for friendly early testers to give us feedback. And there's a bunch of different users of this. You know, we're targeting manufacturers and, and, and system um, integrators. But actually, it because it's open source, it can be used by anyone. So, you know, if landlords want to figure out, OK, well, what is the standard of the systems I've installed um, against networker security, they can do so. So there's, there's lots of different users, which is exciting. Our primary one at the moment will be manufacturers. Um, you know, we, we did a huge outreach effort to, to all the users. We have a bunch of master systems integrators that test on our behalf. We have um, two labs, one in the US, one in the UK. They test on our behalf. We have manufacturers who've used the DAC tool to test. So we were able to get some really solid insight into what would make this product work to just offer the most impact um, to everyone. And one of the things that we decided to target was accessibility. You know, it's it's super important to, to Google's products, whether they're internally facing or externally open source or, or proprietary, it, it doesn't matter. Um, so that was really fun to learn about how to design for accessibility. Um, and also just getting into the heads of the users and figuring out what's important and you know not making those assumptions about well I know best or here's what would be cool it's mm -hmm. it's targeting you know what the user needs and and ultimately that is what's going to make the automation most successful um in, in in terms of impacting us yeah have you thought about what other metrics would uh, would make the project deployment a success uh, or not yeah um well there's there's a huge number because that that was one of our other challenges actually was um whilst i'm talking about you know device automation um was data generation to to figure out metrics of what is making our program successful how do we know if we're impacting the industry so we have yeah i mean we have your your usual customer sentiment type metrics um the the me as a user as a program manager i care about you know retention and how many people are using it um how many queries for support we get they're the things i care about they were also the things that had to be deprioritized in terms of feature uh, feature development so i'm on a i'm on a p1 list of, of development so we'll probably have a year of deployment um where the data generation won't exist and then we'll have to automate that that metric creation which is that's the bit i'm most excited about is proving that what we've done works Thank you, Claire. Well, I'm sure there's going to be some other questions for you coming later. Uh, if you're listening and you have questions for Claire, drop them in the chat. And that goes for any of our other participants. But um, Claire Meredith, thank you so much for joining. Um, it was great having you and we'll see you back in a little bit. Thanks, Aaron. All right, wonderful. So up next, we have Jim Carr and Doug Pritchard from Bintal Green Oak. Um, would like to welcome you both here. Uh, so Jim is the Chief Innovation Officer uh, at Bintal Green Oak, where he leads the global real estate investment manage 
management advisory firms, technology strategy, and IT organization. Uh, Jim has over 25 years of experience working with private and public clients in the real estate industry. So welcome, Jim. And we also have uh, Doug Pritchard, who's the VP of Business Enablement and Innovation. Uh, Doug, um, uh, Doug focuses on uh, investment management applications. Uh, so the investment management applications team um, uh, focuses on the, uh, their application portfolio includes Argus Enterprise, Chatham Debt Management, Deal Cloud, Dynamo, Invenstron, MRI, RealPage BI, and AIM. So welcome both. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, I know. And uh, it's, um, yeah, look, looking forward to sharing the story with you. Uh, let me see here. I, have I been able to get control here? To There we go. Um, yeah, so I've been with uh, Bentil Green Oak for two years now. Um, and as Aaron mentioned, I spent my career half in the advisory world. I owned a firm called 111 Advisors. Uh, and um, yeah, spent time on both sides of the fence. It's it's been a great two-year journey with Bentil Green Oak. Uh, to give you a little context on our organization, um, it's a uh, it's a fascinating company to work for. Um, it's been a wonderful two years. And as Aaron was describing the technology, we own <laughs> we own or have owned pretty much most of the major technologies out in the real estate space. It's been very fascinating. Um, Bentil Green Oak is an organization. To give you some context, we currently have. 83 billion in assets under management. Um, I did a, a technology roadmap for Green Oak Partners back in 2014 when they were only 3 billion in AUM. Uh, so you can just kind of imagine the uh, transformation the organization has gone through from a people process and technology perspective, um, rapid growth organically, and also um, you know uh, uh, through acquisitions. Uh, so uh, we also serve over 750 clients around the world. Um, we have an amazing um, in-house research team. Um, I, I sleep really good at night, and I think Doug does too, knowing that our, our teams that do um, asset acquisition and disposition and our underwriting teams are just phenomenal. I'd say some of the best in the, in the industry, and I've worked with a lot of real estate organizations over the years. Um, so uh, just noting here that uh, we are a global organization. Uh, we own and manage pretty much every asset class in the real estate space. Uh, we have office, industrial, retail, multifamily. Uh, we don't think the only things we don't do, Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong, are assisted living and student housing. But uh, we own and manage pretty much the kitchen sink on real estate asset classes. So uh, our needs from a technology perspective are very complex. Um, also, through all our acquisitions and growth, we inherited a lot of technology as well. So. A lot of our job has been just rationalizing our systems. Um, so, uh, you know, we've had a very complicated stack. Um, again, we uh, we operate, you know, pretty much across the whole, you know, I bucket real estate into buy, build, manage, sell across that entire cycle. So our data needs are very, uh, are very complex. Um, going to the next slide, I'll, uh, and I'll talk about the business, Doug and I'll talk about um, specifically the business case, but um, just to give you a little more context, Really, um, since I've joined, I'd say I'd bucket. We're doing a million things, but we uh, we're really uh, have focused on six primary initiatives in the last two years. Um, the big thing, uh, one of the big things, Doug and myself and the leadership and IT did um, over the last year and a half is we did do substantial organizational realignment. Uh, we had over a hundred people in IT 
And it was just through our massive growth and we owned over 250 applications through our growth and acquisition. So we did a uh, uh, did a, a pretty significant effort about a year ago to right-size that. And we currently have 50 people on our IT staff globally, uh, which is kind of fit for purpose. And we rationalized our systems down to under 200 applications, which I know still sounds a lot, but again, given the complexity of the markets and uh, the specific areas of the business and the funds, um, you know, there are just very specific needs in some cases. Um, we also put in a pretty formal onboarding and offboarding process um, for our assets and our acquisitions and dispositions uh, because we needed that because we're constantly moving and changing as an organization, our real estate platforms changing all the time. It feels like every week. Uh, we're also doing an ERP consolidation where we're rationalizing our four ERP systems into one and that's active right now. And uh, we're going to be wrapping that up at the end of this year. Um, we also put in a data hub. Um, that's our BI platform. Um, we're using uh, Microsoft Azure's data platform. That's probably a topic for another day. Um, we've had some tremendous success with our data platform. And we also have rolled out a portfolio monitoring tool, um, especially for our third-party operators, so we can consolidate our asset-specific data um, in a usable way um, for our portfolio rollups. And then specific to this business case, um, we also rolled out a global investor portal. Uh, we went through a formal uh, system selection process. Um, we landed on a product uh, called Juniper Square um, to satisfy the needs for our investors. Uh, you know, as you'll see here, we had uh, multiple por uh, portals uh, for our investors, given the rapid growth and acquisitions. Um, we had seven portfolio uh, portal platforms um, through our administrators and then also in-house. Um, so as you could probably imagine, it was pretty it's pretty frustrating for our investors because um, there wasn't a one-stop shop to get their information and to publish their their reports and and their return information. Um, the uh, so so we basically uh, did a, a formal selection process um, and we defined our requirements. Um, we built some use cases. We had some vendors uh, demonstrate their capabilities and we landed on a product. Um, and then we went ahead and uh, rolled it out um, to, I think, uh, tremendous success. So there's a lot of challenges. And I wanted Doug on the phone because Doug, Doug and his team um, and his leadership, they did a, a lot of hard work and in, in putting together, um, putting this together. So I guess with that said, Doug, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to you. And uh, do you want me to advance to the next slide? Sure. Okay. And I'll let you tell a little more Thank detail you. about our uh, investor portal rollout. Yeah, our, our challenges really started with the logistics of, of collecting 400, over 400,000 documents from multiple organizations. Um, and some of those were, were uh, pretty areas where you're bringing together databases, you're restoring databases from another system, bringing them up, developing extraction techniques, and then migrating them in. And at the end of the day, um, you had to make sure that for each organization, you had a pathway to bring all the documents over, categorize them correctly, and then make sure they landed in the right place. Our, our worst fear was that investors would log into the new, new portal and see inappropriate materials. So each one of those was logistically just a challenge of collecting all of those, all of those documents across all of those different service providers to make sure that they came together in the right place. As we were doing that, we were also organizationally bringing things together. Um, the previous slide mentioned that we had over 326 um, investment vehicles 
that we needed to categorize in this new Juniper Square platform, make sure we organized them by fund strategies appropriately for reporting. And then also we had to bring together contacts and the account details from each one of these different um, strategies and structures. So we ended up working through over 9,000 contacts across the multiple funds, bringing them together in one platform, making sure they were all together. Another challenge that we faced with that is we had to keep current as we were going through this categorization effort. So it involved making sure that as we were making changes in our source materials, as we were bringing data on to the new Juniper Square 1VGO platform, that we had to keep current, bring those changes over. Um, so that involves synchronization across multiple different organizations, multiple different systems, each with the stream to make sure that we ended up with accurate information in Juniper Square when we went live. And I think the last challenge that was kind of fun was the bringing together of teams that had always been working at a fund level. Everybody was kind of fund specific in their processes. And so bringing the teams together in the new platform allowed us to rethink the way we do things. And, and that was a challenge, but also an opportunity for us as we worked through it. Then as we went in um, and the results that we came through that work were at the end of the day, we launched a single investor portal that was much easier to navigate. So from an investor's perspective, we had a single, easily accessible system that allowed us to access their full history of documents across all the BGO funds. And that was critical for us is at the end of the day, the investor is how we wanted to improve their experience. We didn't have to have them go to multiple places, wanted them in one spot that we brought all of our BGO fund together information, make it easy to navigate. So that, that was the primary accomplishment that we wanted with the project. The next was establishing and laying the foundation for an investor data platform to provide rapid access to the investor's full history across all of BGO strategies. So bringing that together, that was always available in multiple different locations, but having it in one place opens the doors to analytics, makes that information much more accessible to our team and really allows us to start um, focusing and, and doing more effective cross-strategy marketing um, where and seeing trends from investors across our different funds. So providing that investor data platform, giving rapid access to investor history across all of our strategies was critical. And then that sets the foundation for enabling us to share more information with our investors as well in one consolidated spot. And then lastly, we have one BGO investment management team. So that single platform brings the teams together, allowing us to have more consistent processes. And we think be uh, more responsive to our investors, more efficient in the way that we respond to their requests for information. So another key result coming out of the Juniper Square project. Um, so lastly, at the end of the day, it was all about having our investors going to one place and providing that single platform that's the foundation for a better investor experience and providing data for BGO, our team, to better understand our investors and their history with us. Yep. Thanks, well, I'll turn that back over to Jim. Okay. Um, yep. I guess, Aaron, we're turning it back over to you, right? Sure. No, just just quickly. I mean, uh, sure. everybody wants happy happy investors in their lives. Um, have you heard any feedback um, from the investors themselves? 
has you know have they engaged with the tool what's the response been like um you know from from my perspective it's been um unbelievably favorable um i think we did a uh, a good job of setting expectations and communicating properly with them you know there's been a few hiccups here and there but overall um i found them to be very pleased in the conversations i've had and doug i don't know if there's anything else you wanted you wanted to add on that no, I mean, we're closely watching adoption, making sure that all trends are there. That was another thing that we wanted as we rolled out. We're watching to make sure that adoption was happening and that, again, putting together a team to respond was really important for and, us. And getting our fund administrators to kind of, because they each have their own way of administering the fund, um, to kind of follow our the, the new process. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a challenge too, I'd say. All right, well, Jim, Doug, thank you guys so much for the comments. Uh, we'll see you back shortly. And um, up next, I'm pleased to introduce Rob Kierens from Real Foundations. Uh, so Rob, why don't you come on and, um, and, and we'll get you set up here. So uh, if you don't know Rob, he's the head of business, uh, he's the head of development services of Real Foundations. Uh, he's got over 17 years of international consulting experience in the real estate industry. Uh, Rob is responsible for the team delivering robotic process, data movement, and report automation development within the Real Foundations. Uh, for external and internal clients alike. So Rob, welcome. I'm excited to hear your comments today. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so just to start off, I think um, what uh, what I'm going to talk about today is is more a sort of a, a holistic approach around data movement. Um, we've heard about case studies from, from uh, various people, but I just wanted to sort of uh, talk through um, how we view data movement and, and the consolidation of data and some of the challenges that we've seen um, that we've worked with our clients um, over the years. So just to give a, a, a quick overview, uh, Real Foundations uh, has been operating now for over 20 years. We offer um, professional services or management consulting services to the real estate industry and managed services. So. Um, management consulting around things like system implementations, um, strategy and operating platform diagnostics, um, upgrades, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and in terms of managed services, we do a lot of um, outsourced business process uh, work. So that includes things like lease administration, uh, property accounting, um, data movement services, and uh, robotic process automation. Um, so we have, we have uh, over 300 employees. We have offices uh, in North America, uh, Europe, uh, Asia, and Australia. Um, and we have a uh, managed services team um, based out of India as well, um, who provide a lot of our business process outsourcing uh, capability. Um, and then over the years, we've had uh, had about uh, over 450 clients. We've uh, worked on around two and a half thousand projects. So we're quite uh, quite experienced in sort of feeling the pain and the gain from various clients around moving data and, and automating some of those processes to, to uh, achieve great outcomes. So let me see if I can, there we go. So the data movement challenge, I think, you know, from, from our perspective, it's really about um, getting data from, you know, the right, uh, the right place at the right time in the right format and of course getting it there um, and it being correct. So the challenge I think everyone faces is you know obtaining data from 
multiple data providers, that being external providers, external systems, um, various applications, um, and then sort of having that challenge of moving those uh, data sets um, into various destinations or various use cases. So, um, you know, whether that be for um, people's ERP systems, Yardi, MRI, RealPage, um, providing data to uh, reporting uh, for regulatory reporting or for um, uh, index producers, for example, um, or providing the, the data for portfolio or asset or uh, fund management purposes. So um, really what we're sort of wanting to, to ex um, sort of explain is is that you know it's really a case of a many to many to many to many sort of uh, relationship where we're everyone's sort of facing this scenario of getting many data providers from many different source systems of many different data types and trying to put those into many different use cases or destinations and so um, you know it's it's really a case we've found of trying to simplify and identify a clear scope in moving your data and saying not sort of trying to boil the ocean, but trying to nail down scope, nail down the, the shape and the size of the data that you're looking to move um, and sort of refine those requirements to make life a lot easier for you. So from our perspective, um, we really, you know, sort of see challenges um, in the three main areas around data movement. So, you know, acquiring the data from those sources, um, whether they be systems or from information suppliers, as we term them, um, or, um, you know, third party operators uh, or service providers. And then figuring out um, the tools and approaches to, to take that data from those uh, sources. So those sources could be providing data in Excel, uh, they could be standard reports, they could even be um, in some systems, you know, exposing um, uh, APIs or various other integration methods to provide you data. So it's really about figuring out who is providing you the data and the systems or the location that they're providing it from. We've found that once you sort of establish that uh, initial inventory of who's giving you the data and what they're getting it out of, that really helps you identify um, how you can go about communicating with those information providers what you need um, in their language. Um, you know, a lot of the time, it's it's a lot easier to sort of explain to information providers, you know, we need these, for example, standard Yardi reports. Knowing that they're running Yardi um, accelerates that, that process um, as an example. And then uh, organizing the data that you're needed that you're requiring from those providers or from those systems by, by data type. And so we found that, you know, obviously different data types require different, uh, have different challenges around moving them. So the challenges around moving financial or budget data or, or trial balance data is very different in terms of the way that you need to validate and map that data compared to operational data or lease data. And so being able to be sort of clear in your mind around the type of data you're looking to move or to consolidate really does help you bring down the scope of, of what types of validations, what types of um, shape and size of the data that you're looking to move, um, what it's gonna start looking like. Um, and so performing things like field mappings um, and, and um, standardized data values for your, your data movement becomes a lot simpler once you've got an idea of A, the data types, um, and then B, 
obviously where it's coming from, the systems or the people that it's being provided from. Um, obviously, in, in terms of validations, as I said, applying validation techniques um, based on the data type is, is, is a great way of trying to um, sort of scale down or keep the scope manageable in terms of the challenges around moving data. Um, people sort of tend to forget, you know, we've, we've, we've moved data from A to B, but uh, fundamentally, is it correct? You know, people sort of uh, get into the habit of saying, you know, the, the exercise was achieved, we moved the data, the data's in where it needs to be or provided to the people that need, need to have it. But fundamentally, that, that, that check of making sure that the data is correct before it goes to where it needs to be, um, we find is something that um, people tend to, to sort of skip over a bit you know, when they when they face the ch the technical challenge of moving data, um, and then only sort of come back to it at a later point, and by that stage, you know, the the damage has been done in terms of trying to fix um, some of those problems that you provided inaccurate or incorrect data. So for us, we 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 think that applying validation techniques upfront is critical to to making sure that your data movement process is um, is uh, optimal. Um, and then finally, moving that data to where it needs to be. So whether that's, as I said, to a, uh, a reporting requirement, whether it be statutory or regulatory or an index, uh, uh, um, an index company, or whether it be moving data into a data warehouse or an ERP system, um, really transforming that data into the shape that it needs to be um, and making sure that you use the correct tools related to that destination. So for example, you know, we find that based on various systems, they will ingest data through different mechanisms. So for example, some uh, solutions like to ingest data through Excel templates, some software allows access via API, um, others have neither and require the use of manual entry. Um, and so this sort of understanding where you're trying to get that data and understanding the technology that's available to you um, is really helpful to, to helping you understand, A, the data that you need to satisfy that requirement, right? And so that there may be situations where on top of the data you're looking to move, the uh, destination requires additional data that you may not have thought of. Um, and so being very clear about where you're putting the data and the method that you're using um, will help you in your in your design to make sure that you don't have uh, invalid data. And, and Rob, I, you know, previous discussions you had walked us through some kind of pre-qualifying questions on, um, you know, how to get started. Can you just talk through just a couple of the questions that you should ask when when you um, embark on a data transfer, data movement, or ingestion sure. project? Just hit hit the high levels for us. Yeah, sure. So really, as I said, you know, I've I kind of uh, put together four starting points to sort of think about. But, you know, as I said, you know, are uh, your partners operating uh, properties um, outside your system? What systems are they using, um, as an example? Um, so what what systems or, or locations are you getting the data from? Um, and is that different to the the system or, the, you know, the system that you're using? So, you know, moving data from MRI to MRI is inherently a lot easier than moving it from you know, system A to system B. And so understanding that challenge, um, understanding um, any sort of mapping requirements um, is key and making sure that there's a, a, a data governance approach. So we briefly touched on the need for data to be clean and correct um, when it goes through and we can't sort of stress that 
um, too much is to make sure that as part of any data movement process that there's a data governance uh, um, strategy in place to make sure that um, any any uh, inaccuracies in data there's a feedback loop and that those things are, are managed and, and uh, corrected as quickly as possible. Rob, thank you so much for the comments today. Uh, it was great having you on. Um, We'll, uh, we'll see you back here shortly after we hear from Adam uh, Norman with FreeSpace. All right, up Thanks, next, uh, Adam, why don't you come on and join us here? Uh, I'll introduce you. He's the uh, head of applications engineering at FreeSpace. Um, he's got over 20 years of experience in the information technology sector. He has a passion for helping clients harness the power of workplace technology using IoT and mobile applications to drive analytical insights. Uh, Adam, welcome. Excited to learn more about what you guys are doing in free space. Uh, so why don't you educate us? Great stuff. Thanks for the introduction, Aaron. Much, and it's been great listening to the other panelists. Um, free space itself has been in the industry since about 2015. And what I'd like to go through today is just how some of those different data types in terms of workplace technology can help support that redesign and uh, provide some insight through automation. Uh, what you can see from the image is these different data sources, <clears throat> excuse me, all of which are feeding through huge amounts of data, like you mentioned earlier, um, varied information for and sort of value to decision making. What I've shown here is a couple of case study examples of how this data has helped reduce um, occupancy. So you have that 20% saving on your real estate cost annually. We've also worked with clients to, to realize that how we can increase that desk ratio again to save real estate space um, from sort of 0.78 or 87 to 1.05 um, which is really interesting when you sort of take that example i had an interesting conversation with someone recently and and sort of mentioned to me that everyone's talking about data at the moment but uh, but so what having lots of data doesn't actually mean that it's valuable unless there's an easy way to ingest it and what we see is we've created a simplified advanced analytics insight dashboard using our own bi platform which you can see <clears throat> uh, really easy and clearly defined um, that helps you sort of review and understand that simply by analyzing that in a single pane of view if we look here you can straight away see from this example that on the ground floor and the fifth floor there's really lower occupancy rates than others what you're able to do from that is there, then narrow down those types of spaces and understand what that utilization is telling you. It could be that the number of desks that aren't there or what, what's not being used, or it could be a number of collaboration spaces that just aren't in the right place. Um, as an example, one of our clients recently had an open collaboration area with lots of stall seating. Um, what we did from the power of this data is actually redefine that area to create sort of um, a number of four-person bench seated areas uh, and then remove those large seated tables and add in three or four other four seated benching areas, they've seen a real increase in that sort of high use collaboration in those spaces just by taking that insight and taking that information sort of thinking about how they can model that area much simpler. Um, now if we take that one step further, we can look at the concept of <clears throat> um, dynamically capacity planning that area now that helps the building to become more automated um, using those different data trends from the previous slide. 
the design of this technology was kind of taken out of the new occupancy rates we're seeing in the industry. So a typical theme that you might see is Monday to Friday is seeing less occupancy than Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as an example. One of the key benefits of you know, using, a, uh, using a platform like this is that you're increasing that in, uh, efficiency um, by automate, automatically stacking these spaces. So you can only sort of open those floors that are in use on any given day giving those uh, sort of facility managers a significantly reduced overhead in space management. Additionally, what that it does is support that green initiative as well, um, which is becoming more important as companies are supporting that sustainability. Um, we also see other benefits from using uh, platforms similar like this is um, reduced maintenance costs and cleaning costs because you're not having to, to, to go around and clean those spaces. I think, you know, ultimately where we see this going is in harnessing all of that information or oh, i've gone one too far is harnessing all of that information into an automated building management technology using an intermediary device to capture those different data sources you know from that sensing layer um, and then feeding that data back into the into the controls like you can see that diagram um, you can have those control units and you know like you said earlier about those smart buildings you're seeing a lot of different technology being included we've got lighting systems hvac systems if that space is becoming unoccupied for a certain a certain period of time what this enables us to do is configure triggers uh, using sort of a backnet protocol to feed directly into a building management system to turn off that lighting system and you know, effectively turn off that uh, air conditioning, um, reducing that energy, saving your overall carbon footprint, uh, and then all of that feeds nicely back into the analytics insights to give you that data. Uh, these are just a few examples of ways we're leveraging data in automated decision making. Um, yeah, um, and that sort of yeah, really appreciate being having the chance to to sort of be part no, of this. No, it's great. Um, I I would love to kind of. Um, dive into one of those details. I mean, certainly, you know, car properties uh, were on the, you know, we're in the business of leasing space and we want to lease as much space to our customers, um, as, you know, that they need and, and that uh, customers demand. But um, how have you seen that sensors and the automation uh, have successfully been able to right size uh, tenant spaces? And I know a lot of people are talking about it. Um, some of our testing to implement, but you could, can you talk more specifically about uh, any like successful deployments uh, of this technology and how that's impacted tenants or uh, real estate owners? Yeah, and, and, yeah, certainly. I think we've had a um, sort of, we've been working with varying different clients over the last sort of seven to eight years. And one of the key clients that we've worked with have deployed roughly 26,000 sensors across their entire real estate portfolio. What, and they used, um, use that for, for sort of measuring not only occupancy but trying to bring in bringing and facilitating that sort of utilization of the office space now what that they were able to do was understand that space get those metrics see that those buildings are underutilized reduce that that building into from what could have been three floors into two floors uh, and then lease that then that space back into the market and then sublet that space to earn in, invested mm. income so that's how they sort of leverage okay. technology. So Interesting. And yeah, and there's still, you're still faced with the problem of, you know, every, everybody wants to work from home Mondays and Fridays, but work in the office yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So the, a true hoteling model is still challenging. But I guess with it your is. technology platform, it helps an operator 
navigate that and um, and optimize the space when when people are not there. Certainly does, and I think the way that we're we're positioning it from our sort of technology platforms is is that collaboration because I think that's one of the one of the first pieces on my slide is actually using that collaboration data as well um, to to sort of re-engage the 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 sort of employee to come back into the office. Mm. You know, taking that sort of um, you know two or three people that work collaboratively together on regular occasion, you know, to show that they're in that office is is proving really invaluable in 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 a lot of our client cases. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, um, Adam, thank you. It was uh, it was good to I've been familiar with free space. Um, uh, so it's good to have you back on and um, and learn more about what you guys are doing recently. Uh, so we're we're now really the best part of the, the program here where, uh, you know, we'd like to invite all the speakers back on and uh, we'll kind of have a you know roundtable um, panel discussion. Um, so flip the webcams back on and, and come back and join me. Uh, for those in the audience, um, please head over to the chat feature over on your right uh, and just, you know, punch in what's on your mind and um, we'll, you know, uh, we'll get uh, answers out there and, and have some, um, some discussion. So it looks like we've already got some questions coming in uh, and I guess we'll get started with uh, Brian Sheffron's question. Uh, so he asks um, really the panel, uh, what tools are being used to catalog data and provide visibility into what data is available and how is it used by end users? Uh, so I, I might get started with this one and then um, maybe we can just pass it down down the line to, to Jim and, and Doug and, um, uh, and, and then the rest of the panel. But um, in terms of tools, um, you know, it, I'd say I want to touch on one piece on the way that we approach tools. Uh, we have made a conscious effort from the beginning that when we store data, we keep it separate from the BI or front end tool. Uh, we've decoupled and this has allowed us to kind of navigate the, the BI market uh, for the best of breed of what's ever, you know, what's ever there. We've um, been on Sysense, we've been on Power BI, we've been on ThoughtSpot, we've been on homegrown tools. Um, so, uh, but really going back to the benefit of the, you know, decoupling data from, from the BI tool so we can remain platform agnostic. Um, so that's just the uh, one piece that I'll contribute there, but um, definitely want to hear from, from Jim and Doug. I know they talked about Juniper Square, but um, what other tools have you guys found yeah. beneficial for uh, insights and, and end, end usage? Doug, do you want me to go first? Mm. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, for cataloging data, um, Aaron, it sounds like we take a similar approach. I mean, our philosophy is we have so many applications out there to support the business. And we always um, we always try to use that specific application um, for their that specific data needs and any reports or, inf you know, or dashboards that are out of the box for that tool. We leverage that. Yeah, I agree. Like, um, I think you might have been saying, like, you know, you don't use the tools for their intended purpose. And then when you do need to catalog data from a variety of sources, we do use our data hub. So we'll pull in data from a variety of sources into our data hub, um, which is Microsoft Azure. Um, and then when we need the visualization layer, whether it's dashboarding or reporting, um, we use Power BI. Um, but again, we take it, um, you know, I, I, I know I'm going a little off script here, but or off topic, but you know, we, I've seen so many uh, BI initiatives fail over the years and it's, you, a BI tool platform can be fantastic to catalog data, 
Uh, but you have to be very specific on what the use case is and use it for its intended purpose and then use those applications for their intended purposes. Um, Doug, I don't, uh, I don't know if you'd like to add to that. Yeah, for the Juniper Square project specifically, we were ingesting data into that specific platform. There, so there was a lot of reliance on their tools and, and their capabilities. And then again, with each service provider, there was a lot of analysis that happened to figure out that lowest common denominator for data transfer, for bringing in the documents. So there's a lot of FTP transfers, FTP tools, SQL Server database setup. But then once you get past that, you're you're organizing your metadata and analyzing that to make sure it's categorized into the right place. So there, there was a lot of, of just front-end analytics work, primarily using a lot of Excel magic that happened. And then the Juniper Square tools to bring data in. Once we had it in there, there was a lot of analytics that we did on the back end to make sure that it landed on the right place. And there we were able to rely on more um, powerful platforms like Power BI to help us with that. Thank you. Um, and uh, Adam, I'd be interested to hear how, you know, on the free space side, uh, you mentioned you you built your own internal dashboard, but, um, you know, can you talk about the, the tech stack that you guys maybe have used or leveraged um, in the past? Yeah, so I think we, we built our proprietary um, sort of analytics portal based in our own uh, coding platform um, what we do to then farm that data out into those advanced analytics port, uh, reports is based off of tableau um, so that's how we then extract the core the raw data into into that tableau format to, to sort of make it more of a stakeholder report uh, rather than sort of a, a facilities based in, informatic that you can see from the standard portal that we offer Thank you, Adam. Now, um, Claire, I'm sure, you know, Google, you guys have, um, you know, I don't want to say unlimited resources, but you have a tremendous amount of resources at your fingertips. Um, are you finding that you're using mostly uh, internally built tools or things that you're buying off the shelf and um, and repurposing or configuring? How does life look um, on a, you know, a technical project with Google in terms of um, tools that you're using for data management? That's kind of a hard question, Aaron. <laughs> the, the, in, in terms of what we have used in the past, like I said, our entire process was manual previous to this, this automation project. So Google Sheets was our main tool for, for managing all data. Um, whereas going forward, we the tool we're building is open source. So it's, it's going to be available on GitHub. And what we want to do then is utilize the data we can generate there and pull it back in. That in terms of tools or how we do that, to be confirmed, I'm I'm too far down the list in terms of priorities at this stage. Um, but it it will ultimately be a combination of both. Okay, thank you. Um and Rob would love to hear from you on on your approach. Um, you know. You're out there working with many different uh, clients with different ERP systems, and you're you know brought in to do these complicated data transfer projects. Um, are there are there helpful tools that you rely on to keep you organized or um, kind of make sense of you know disparate data as you're bringing everything together? Yeah, we we looked at a couple. There's there's um, <clears throat> there is one that Microsoft provides. You know, it's a cloud tool called um, um, Azure Purview which is really, a, um, it's intended to be sort of a, a way of cataloging 
uh, and looking into databases and things like that, sort of at an enterprise level and calling out um, sort of the, the, the architecture of the data um, and potentially being able to, to look at, you know, what metadata you might have um, in various databases. Um, but we use, a, we use a separate product called uh, Data Ado and we use that to help um, structure um, our um, data models that we use to, to move data around. Um, and so that we have a, a centralized uh, data model that's um, highly highly uh, controlled in terms of people people being able to add, change, and delete stuff from our data model that we use to move data around. And so we use a tool called Data Edu, D-A-T-A-E-D-O, I think. Um, and that's really around um, being able to say, th you know, these are our data elements. These are the definitions. Um, even down to these are the reports or these are the um, um, pieces of logical validation that are applied to those fields. So um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but um, we do have a cataloging tool that kind of does that for us. Okay. No, I have not heard of that one day to do. So got it, uh, got it noted, thank you. Um, just a reminder to the um, those still on with us, uh, if you have a question, just drop it in the chat and, and I'll get to it. Um, while you guys are thinking about what you might want to hear from this panel next, um, I'll, I'll queue up the next uh, question for us to talk about. Uh, it's really in terms of like, um, I want to know what's what's keeping you up at night. Um, what are the concerns coming uh, over the next 12 months uh, around data, around automation? Um, I'll, I'll kick us off with um, uh, with one you know concept, and, and uh, actually I have to touch on two. One is uh, cybersecurity, um, and you know, understanding how um, you know asset cybersecurity is certainly different from you know traditional cybersecurity, where we now have all these endpoints that we need to secure, uh, all these new devices that are uh, are connected to you know to IP, and uh, all the you know scary things that can potentially happen. I'm certainly seeing this firsthand. You know, building out one Congress up in Boston. Um, the the other piece that that's um, pressing for me is uh, is continually getting the value out of uh, the investment in data. And it's a question from the top. Uh, we, we have great leadership at CAR uh, and we take an innovative innovation approach um, all the way from the top, uh, we get buy-in. Uh, but we invest in you know, sensors, data platform, data management. And um, you know, there's a constant question of uh, what is the return back to the company? Uh, so for myself as a, you know, as a technician in this, in these systems, I'm, I'm always looking for the, um, you know, those opportunities to implement automation and, and get the most value out of our data back for our business partners. Uh, so, you know, those are really the, the questions that I'm, I'm asking from a day-to-day -day basis, but um, would love to hear from, you know, maybe Jim and Doug, what's keeping you guys up at night in terms of uh, your big data approach? Uh, everything? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, I would say for me, it's the, our ability to react to unexpected um, requests uh, quick enough uh, for the business um, and leadership uh, for me. And I know that's kind of generic, but, you know, for example, um, and we use, as I mentioned, um, typically we'll use the data hub, um, our data hub for that. But, you know, for example, we had to automate our property returns because it was a very manual process. And they said, we need to get that done right away. So we did a business case to automate our property returns um, for our North America markets and just our team's ability to be um, be able to react to that 
um, and and get it right. And then we also had a request um, for our, you know, we're a global company. We have over 1,400 employees uh, for our um, for more detailed ethnicity, diversity, and inclusion data, right? And so we had to do a use case for that and react to it very quickly. And then in addition to that, we'll just get these odd, unexpected requests from investors, um, just kind of firing literally every week. Uh, so I'd say our biggest thing is just making sure we're positioned with our data, we understand our data, and we have the right people in place um, to react to requests quickly. Um, and I know that a lot of those, a lot of things I'm saying depend on the scale of your organization. Um, but for us uh, and you know the team you could put in place uh, relative to that. Uh, but I'd say the big one then, of course, cybersecurity. We have a separate cybersecurity team that reports to me of uh, three people. And uh, that's obviously something that we have interesting inf things pop up every day around cybersecurity that, that stress me out a little bit. Um, Doug, I don't know if there's another two that come to mind or another one. Yeah. I would just say for me, it's executing on what Jim just said as, as we go through our um, enterprise transformation, as we work through and rationalize our software stack, there's a lot of change and making sure we execute on it properly and, uh, are effective at it is, is what keeps me up at night. Yeah, I guess the last point I'd make too, I think Claire made a really good point and um, in, in her note that, you know, making sure you understand what the business wants. So try to anticipate what the, what the business wants um, in advance and making sure, because at the end of the day, that's what we do, right? We're here to serve the business, so. That's right. Um, uh, thank you guys. And we, we have another question that's come in from uh, from the audience that that is an interesting one. Um, so the question is from John Tavares. So, John, thank you. Um, and John would like to know um, our thoughts about how data can benefit investors, property managers and and occupiers. He says it seems most platforms target only one of these audiences uh, as they have somewhat different priorities. And um, th this is a this is a really good good question. I'd like to toss it to Adam um, because you know your product uh, is per and correct me if I'm wrong, but is purchased by an owner or a customer. The data is used by an owner or a customer, and the application is used by an owner or customer or end user. So you have multiple different groups that are utilizing your product and your data. How do you guys approach this? Do you have um, different different views for customer types, um, you know, user levels. Uh, how do you how do you guys address and, and keep these folks engaged? Cool. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question actually. I think it's it is really important to engage those different stakeholders differently. Um, like you say, you've got the you've got the decision makers, the key stakeholders who are wanting to get value out of the product, out of the business decisions, out of the data. You've got to make sure that that information is easy easily digestible to them. Then you've got your direct uh, contacts who are managing the overall project, and they have their different requirements and different regular or different sort of requirements that they're building out. Uh, and often what the stakeholders are wanting can differ from what they are looking to get out of the product. Um, you know, they, you know, again, from if we take it from a, a sort of a real estate facilities workplace management perspective, um, it's really about gaining that insight into how the building is operating, how they can get best value out of the space and how they can actually get the best experience for their employees and staff coming into the building. And then we have the the, the sort of the, the the actual probably the most one of the most important cohort, which is the people coming into the buildings and how they get into the building. 
and how they utilize the space. Uh, and what we often find is by building out sort of uh, change management processes with that, with that sort of middle ground, to, to enable that process with the end user uh, and, and the staff that are involved, it gains that buy-in from, from sort of the whole organization because otherwise, if you don't get buy-in by the employees and the, and the people who are gonna be using either the application or, or being aware of the technology, because our technology is quite, um, visual so you'll have the ceiling mounted sensors as an example uh, we do uh, uh, different sets of different types of wayfinding so they can see that there's something happening in the building but we find that communication is key for for, mm -hmm. uh, for sort of the end user experience that way it buys in from from ground up uh, and once they hear great stuff from the ground it feeds back into the stakeholders and ultimately you have that sort of really cohesive collaboration and cohesive sort of um, experience throughout the different product suites that's kind of how I would envision it and sort of try and take it's difficult because every client is very different. You know, you get sort of <laughs> easygoing clients and you get ones who have different different right. sort of measures, you, you know, and, and you're probably in the same boat, Aaron, where you have yep. sort of a different a, a, a number of different sort of key stakeholders who who are on the same project but all want slightly different things. Uh, and I suppose it's how you keep those those different parties engaged and every every conversation is is ever so slightly different. Yeah, and in that same flavor, um, you know, our customers internally have a wide array of skill set and knowledge around data. Uh, and that's one of the things that I've seen um, has been, you know, a, a challenge at times. Some are, you know, in their nascent stage of, of understanding data and some are more sophisticated. And we want our platforms to appeal to um, all types of, you know, all of our colleagues at CAR. Um, and you know, maybe I'd like to lean on Rob here, uh, who you know, works with all different. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of feedback from somebody, but um, uh, who works with all different kinds of uh, of groups and and different skill sets. So, Rob, do you have any recommendations on, um, you know, in, in terms of like transparency to data uh, for different uh, for different. Uh, Adam, do you mind Adam, uh, muting you yourself? Mind, uh, you don't mind. I think that's where the feedback is coming from. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, so I was on to Rob, uh, just asking uh, about you know in, in your uh, data projects to move data and transition uh, and really get teams spun up with these you know consolidated data sets. Um, are, are you going through you know education and training, uh, and and do you have any um, advice on? how to get people that maybe aren't all that familiar with understanding big data, how to get them interested or how to you know, introduce the topic to them. Uh, has, has that come across your plate at all? Yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time when we're, um, when we're asked to provide data movement services, um, onboarding is, the, is kind of the term we uh, use. And it's really about onboarding the, the information suppliers um, because without sort of their buy-in of providing the data in a consistent manner, on time, um, and in a correct fashion, really the rest of it kind of falls apart. Um, and so we we really spend a lot of time at the start of the process um, educating those external providers of data. So you know those those real estate property managers, um, third party managers that are providing data sets um, to fund managers that we that we sort of collect for them. Um, and then in terms of I guess. Uh, uh, trying to get buy-in for large data sets. Um, you know, we going back to what Adam said, I think, you know, having a good visual 
representation of the data always starts the conversation. You know, it, it gives someone, uh, you know, a, a good place to start. Um, I think a lot of people are terrified at just looking at huge grids of data. Um, and so, you know, the, the executive buy-in tends to be more favorable if you can provide, you know, a nice clean dashboard to start with. Obviously, you know, uh, every client wants their own type, you know, it's a bit like a tenancy schedule. Everyone wants their own type of tenancy schedule. Everyone wants their own dashboard. Um, and so that's always the conversation, which is, you know, here's a, here's a starting point. Um, tell us what you want to, what you, what, what, you know, is, is driving your decision making and what KPIs and what measures. Um, but yeah, as Adam sort of said, you know, a, a good visual uh, dashboard to start with always always gets the conversation moving and the interest flowing, I think, from, from decision makers. Thank you, Robin. And one other thing that I've I found that that's been helpful there is, um, uh, with, with our BI tool, we, there's a, um, an end user, like, um, there's there's basically like a way that you can write SQL without knowing SQL. You can basically type it in in plain language and um, query what you want, and um, which is great because a creative user can get to what they need quickly. But it can be overwhelming for someone that's not done that before, doesn't really understand how um, you know some complex data sets work. And what I found has been successful is um, when I'm deploying data sets to a new user group. I'll create, you know, smaller views or worksheets of the data and I'll go through and re just simply rename the the data in common language terms that they know and, um, you know, not deliver a BI tool that has, you know, 50 different tables that they can query. Maybe start with just, just a handful and limit the fields down to only the ones that are the priorities and just commonly label them. So, um, you know, for calling a tenant a tenant, that's what we call it across, you know, the three different um, tables that we're, we're releasing out. So, um, because you're completely right, uh, it can be, it can easy, easily, um, you know, overwhelm folks. So, um, yeah, so that's just, just one piece here. Um, so a question for Claire that, that's come in. Um, the question says uh, for you, is Google showing any signs of putting holds on technology projects or spending reductions given some levels of uncertainty in the economy, um, you know, with reduced tenant occupancy and lease renegotiations? How have you seen, um, have you seen this affect uh, your work or your pipeline of projects uh, with such a large company such as Google? Well, I think that's the, the challenge, Aaron. Um, it is such a large company and, and I certainly wouldn't have visibility across you know, these, these decisions, but in my work specifically, we're focusing on efficiency. So we're, we are building technology, we're looking at automation in order to be able to continue to do what we do um, well into the future. Good, yeah, if there's any, or, uh, um, anyone else getting, you know, um, uh, having their roadmaps modified uh, based on the the changes that uh, you know the title of this um, this webinar is the you know how does automation affect this looming economy that's coming our way um, so what's everyone else seen out there Jim you might be on uh, mute there Aaron I think we're saying that's what I get for muting sorry um, but, uh, you know, from our perspective, uh, I wouldn't say our 
project intake has slowed down, but certainly um, we're getting more questions. Um, so I'd say we're still having a similar amount of volume. And obviously, um, from an IT perspective, um, our volume of deals as an organization has definitely slowed down. Um, uh, but certainly more questions um, anytime we're, we're asking to spend money, for sure. Good. Well, um, why don't we go around the horn one more time? Give us two minutes of, um, you know, what's uh, what's getting you excited about the next uh, the next year? Um, why don't we uh, why don't we start with Rob and um, then we'll move on to Claire next. Sure. Um, so we're sort of seeing a lot more um, interest in uh, firms um, attempting to. Um, find ways of introducing a robotic process automation into their organizations. Um, for us, that seems to be, um, in particular my, my team, that seems to be a, a real area of focus. Um, we, we build robots for uh, real estate companies. So, you know, we kind of are seeing a lot of the various use cases. Um, the, the kind of tags along with that is, you know, we, we are being asked, how do you justify RPA? What is the what are the metrics you use to be able to develop that business case, um, and and you know, that's it, it's slightly different to you know, historically how we've valued IT projects um, because you know really what we're looking to do is is um, the metric that we always like to talk about is hours returned, you know, so we're returning hours back to the business uh, through implementing of RPA. So we're really excited about. Um, the adoption and a lot of queries we're getting around the use of RPA um, and and how organizations can use that to complement what they're doing, um, not just to be able to do things more efficiently, but to be able to scale uh, without additions of headcount. So, um, you know, in terms of adding portfolios and things like that without having the, you know, associated headcount um, that, that tends to result from that. All right, Rob, thank you. Uh, on to Claire, two minutes or less. Uh, what's getting you excited for the next year? And um, we have an energy data validation project that's rolling out. And one of the requirements is that the data is routed through our internal digital building platform, which is a, a new approach for us in terms of getting visibility and, and managing and, and creating those um, savings and we have this whole incredible team that are looking at validation throughout this pipeline from source meter all the way through to application and um, we're looking at things like usability which is around what are the what are the actions that will come out of the data that, that comes out of the application because I think that can sometimes be a thing that gets lost and um, people want the data but they don't always know what they want to do with it. So, so we're gonna you know, build out these very specific actions and make sure the data can answer them. And um, we're gonna look at things like consistency ranges, is the data out the other end within a reasonable range um, and accuracy obviously. So that I think is gonna um, give us some really cool insights into what that pipeline is capable of. Thank you, Claire. Adam? 
there's quite a few things that kind of excite me <laughs> about the future of different technology that we're introducing. I think one of the key things that we're we're excited by is is really using that data to design and right size the building occupancy uh, and enhance that sort of um, future planning and almost trying to sort of interpret what's going to happen for the future um, rather than sort of guessing what's going on. And I think the other thing that excites me is 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 the enhanced functionality around our mobile application um, and what that is is around sort of that hoteling that was designed you know we're all familiar with the hoteling system that got introduced via covid you know we've moved away from that hoteling apps aspect of the the platform to be that collaborative tool uh, and continuing to add that that real sort of you know joy to return back to the office and work with work with your colleagues i think that's what we what i'm really excited about and 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 how we can then tie in other data sources from third parties using our API um, and, and drawing different information into our platform to then build out an even richer data set. Um, so, you know, barrier access control systems, things like that, that, that you can really sort of enhance the, the sort of overall picture. So you've got sort of your, your meeting room analysis based on um, how occupied your rooms are, but then you can leverage off your barrier access system to draw in data from how many people are in and out of the building. There's some fascinating stuff you can do with it. Um, but yeah, very exciting 12 months, I think, coming. And how about from BGO? Um, I'd say for, for me, I mean, on the boring side, I'd say what excites me is getting our four property accounting systems to one uh, this year. Uh, so uh, that that excites me, uh, even though that's not a very uh, interesting and fun topic. And then I think also, you know, as I mentioned, we, uh, um, we've invested in some technologies. You know, we've rationalized our systems and retired a lot of applications that weren't really being used effectively for what we were paying for. Um, but, you know, we did roll out the VTS globally for our leasing and our leasing pipeline. We implemented RealPage for the asset portfolio monitoring side and collecting our third-party data. As we've talked on the call, we implemented Juniper Square and we're rationalizing our four property accounting systems to one. So to me, what excites me is now that some of those systems are implemented, just finding, um, getting the best use out of those um, to service the business. And then I'd say even more interestingly is the, uh, is the data hub. Um, that I mentioned that we've put in place now that we've gotten a couple of really good use cases under our belt and it's really gotten um, the businesses and um, and the executives excited about what we've, been able, what we've been able to produce. We're now getting a pipeline of requests. Um, so kind of just satisfying, you know, some of those, some of those demands um, from the business now that we've been able to prove some, prove some success, haven't been perfect, but we've proven some success in that. Um, Doug, I think I was less than two minutes. So do you want to add anything to that? Um, yeah, you completely stole my thunder. I, I was sorry. <laughs> I was excited about operationalizing the systems that we've been implemented, like Juniper Square. Um, I, my focus on, on product management, working with a team of product managers who then partner with our business partners to make these systems work efficiently for them. So I'm looking forward to a year of making those improvements and, and tying these different platforms together so that they work smoothly for our business partners. Right. Great, thank you. And I, uh, I'll answer my own question because you guys have given me some time to think about it. Um, I'll be quick. Uh, but certainly um, automation is very exciting with all the data we've been, been collecting. But on the tool set side, uh, I'm really excited to see what's what's coming down the line in terms of um, PoE lighting, PoE products, um, you know, moving away from traditional power to like IP based or uh, switch powered um, um, 
uh, implementations in, in the in the buildings. So there's more to come on that uh, with some panels uh, at, in Las Vegas. So if you're at the show, put that on your calendar. Uh, but it's been great. Uh, thank you guys for spending time with me today. I'm going to pass it back over to Chuck. I think he's going to wrap us up with these last three minutes. Yeah, just just real quick, a, a couple of observations. Great conversation, by the way. And, and thanks again for everyone who joined. Uh, 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 Aaron, uh, you, you know, I think you, you you definitely hit it on the head, the idea of uh, POE, uh, electrical, the net carbon zero, that can be such a big focus on a portfolio. But I'm I'm also curious is the relationship that that your technology group has with the business uh, and and introducing these new projects and you know they don't always have a real definite ROI how how is that conversation typically started when you when you have these new ideas? Sure. So the way that it works at CAR, um, and we're fortunate enough to have an actual lab that we do innovation and deployment of technology and we have a physical space, 5,000 square foot about, um, where let's say the power over Ethernet lighting, for example, we deploy it in our lab, we demonstrate it to the business, and then... Um, you know, it's a, you know, it's a sabbatic relationship. The next time our construction department is, is doing a TI job or building out a new conference center or, you know, building a ground up project, we collaborate on, you know, the tools and we test things in the lab. So um, it's always best if the need comes from the business and that's how we try to, um, you know, to, to originate these projects. But it does also help that, you know, for us to demonstrate be out ahead of the, the industry and and showcase some of these products in our lab. Um, so that's typically how it will go. Uh, that's good. And just a quick follow up uh, uh, with uh, with Doug and and Jim. Um, obviously, we're going to hear a little bit more in deeper detail on the, these projects. But to say you've reduced to two hundred applications almost <laughs> out of carry. Um, is that is there a continued reduction as part of your technology roadmap? Hundred percent, yeah. And it's it's tricky, Chuck. Right? I mean, as I mentioned, we're such a complex business. We're a little bit of everything in real estate as far as asset classes and the and the types of businesses we are across the globe. Um, so yeah, no, there definitely is. There's a concerted effort to continue to rationalize the application stack. Down. I think it's going to be interesting to get a little closer look at that. And I do invite the uh, the, the listening audience, whether you're watching this as a recording or, or live. Uh, yeah, definitely think about that when you, when you come to Realcom, because you do hear a lot more detail. You get to examine these case studies in greater uh, in great, every greater component and ask a lot of questions. So I really do uh, encourage everybody to think about that. I'll have a quick comment here at the very end. Uh, again, thanks to all the panelists, and I especially want to thank again our our UK constituent and and Rob out in uh, Melbourne, Australia, uh, very early in the morning there now about 3:30. So uh, thanks again for uh, uh, making the effort to to really be attentive and and just really presenting a, a tremendous uh, viewpoint from Real Foundations and some of the things that you bring to the to the table. Uh, I do want to tell the live audience again, whether you've joined this as a, a recording or you're watching live, we do just always thank you for tuning in and be sure to register for our next webinar. It was rescheduled from February, but it's important nonetheless. Uh, enterprise systems, data integration, similar conversation in the extent of the industry direction. 
primarily focused on investment management and the enterprise systems and some of the data integration on the investment management side. It is on May the 4th. I won't do a Star Wars reference, but also I'll leave that for some other time. Uh, I am also very excited to introduce, uh, following that, two sessions that are masterclass series in cybersecurity, incident response planning, and how to run a tabletop exercise. So uh, if you ask just about anybody, even on this panel, that exercise in uh, cybersecurity and running a tabletop exercise, many uh, cybersecurity insurance providers now require those, those things in order to just even write a policy. So I, I do hope you uh, take some time and, and think about tuning into that. Those would be on May 11th and the 18th. And also make plans now for RealCom IBCon 2023. That is coming up fast. Uh, you'll be able to meet this community in person, develop relationships, expand your network connections. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity. That's in Las Vegas, Caesars Palace, June 14th and 15th with some pre-con stuff. Uh, you, you'll, you'll really like it. Check it out on realcom.com. All right. So you guys did great. That's it uh, for us. Thanks again. Be safe. And just, again, so appreciate everyone's time. Thanks again. Thanks.